You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and our guest today was struck with the idea that Philadelphia needed a one-stop sports marketing agency for athlete appearances and keynotes. She wanted to create a sports marketing agency where people would find their favorite professional athletes for their events. More recently, they've reimagined the company focusing on sports, wellness, diversity and inclusion, and leadership speakers. With an expansion of services offered, they came up with a new name, new website, and a renewed passion for what they do. Whether it's a kickoff meeting that needs some spark, a conference that needs a keynote speaker, a virtual program in need of an engaging leadership expert, or a team in need of some wellness training, Molly Plotkin Group is there to help. Here for your listening pleasure are the self-made strategies of Molly Plotkin. Hey, Molly, how are you? Very good, Tony. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. This is really cool. Thank you for for coming on. Obviously, you're joining us remotely. We're still obeying social distancing orders, and we appreciate your time. This is also being recorded via Zoom to be posted to YouTube as well. So those of you who are listening can now follow Self-Made Strategies on YouTube, and we'll soon have a Vimeo page up as well. So you can see Molly in the flesh remotely, of course. Uh, but thanks again for joining us. So walk us back. You started in 2004. You've been around for 17 years with Molly Plotkin Group. I know it's gone through some iterations, but tell us about the very beginning. So you decide that you are going to start this one-stop sports marketing agency focused specifically on athlete appearances and keynotes. How did you get your first client? Sure. Honestly, it's a very serendipitous story. It's one of those where you say, you can't believe it's true, but it is. Uh, At the time, I was helping someone in the finance industry with their marketing. Uh, Bottom line is we were thinking, how do you thank clients in a way that's different, in a way that's something unique, uh, that something they can buy? And I came up with the idea of a unique experience. So, you know, experiential brand marketing is all the rage right now, but go back 15, 16 years ago, no one was really talking about that. So it was along those lines that while talking to this person, one of their clients was a huge sports fan. So at the time, I had met the wife of a local area sportscaster and had simply said to her, who runs the agency that represents athletes? So, you know, Philadelphia is such a sports town. Where do we go if we're looking to connect with, you know, alumni athletes, someone who maybe you know, a legend, but they played 20 years ago um, for a private dinner, something along the lines. And she said, there isn't one. And I said, well, there should be. And honest to goodness, the next day I thought, let's start one. Why not? If no one's doing it, this is the time. So uh, she and I actually became business partners and we ran the company together for three years. How it really started was I represented one person And uh, it was Michael Barkan. So I was representing Michael uh, about three weeks into representing him. The Eagles win the playoffs for the first time in forever many years. And as he's on the air, now we've got two weeks before they go to Jacksonville. I simply texted him and I said, 
And this is back when texting A, B, C, you have to go. I mean, this takes a while to text. <laughs> so I texted him and I said, you know, we've been waiting for the phone to ring. If anyone was looking for a sportscaster, you know, he would be my first client. I said, let me try to sell you. I said, you know, now we've got all this excitement of Eagles football. So I thought, okay, let's, what are some local someone to talk to them about, you know, the thumb on the pulse of all things Eagles and what's going to take place. So the first company I called said, you know, we love the idea. I said, bring Michael Barkan out as a thank you to your employees, but like almost like a pep rally. They said, we love that idea. Can you get us Mike Quick also? And I said, absolutely. I don't know Mike Quick. So long story short, I figured out a way to meet Mike Quick. He became my second client. And then fast forward 18 months, I represented 105 people across North America, including every coach in the NHL. Wow. Wow. That's really impressive. Now, before we get too far ahead, we will get to what experiential marketing is and what that, how you develop those programs for your clients. But take us back to meeting Mike Quick. So you book this gig and uh, I admire your your gusto, right? Just figuring out, hey, you know what? I'm going to book the gig and then I'll figure out how to deliver later. So how did you, what was your process to go about meeting Mike Quick at that point? So, you know, my, my secret sauce is that I've always been lucky. I know a lot of people. So, you know, I always tell everyone, network, network, network. It's the most important thing you can do. Make those connections. And it's true. I love connecting people and helping people. And because of that, you know, when you need to find someone, people are willing to answer the phone and say, sure, how can I help you? Because you've helped me in the past. So it was really when I spoke to Mike and said, this is my dream of what I'd like to do. I would like to build this one-stop agency for people to be able to find sports legends. He said, sign me up. So we made it a very... Um, easy way for us to work together. We have full transparency. And what makes my agency unique in the industry is that we only represent people we know. So it started with Michael Barkin and then Mike Quick. And as we build, every person that we represented, we sit down, we get to know them. We find out what their strengths and weaknesses are as a speaker. And once you get a feel for who they are, and you understand their stories, then it's so exciting to be able to help them find the right group to share that story with. Very, very cool. Okay, so now let's talk about experiential marketing and how you've overlapped that. Experiential marketing is basically combining brands and experiences so that people can interact with a brand in the real world, so to speak, right? And, and now that's transitioned a bit online as well, but generally speaking, that term means IRL in real life, right? So how do you go from representing individuals who have a public persona like athletes or like radio personnel or, or TV personnel and create an experiential marketing program around that? What would you do and, and how did that develop? Sure. Well, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID-19, so March 2020, mid-March 2020, those are two very different answers to the same question. So in the past, just knowing where my speakers were the best fit, some do great with small groups. So it's really value-added appearances, maybe uh, a dinner, an 
intimate dinner of 10 people or less where you're spending time with an athlete who I know is going to be able to connect with the people at that table. There's others that have a story. They do great. You can put 3,000 people in a room, give them a microphone and a spotlight, and that's when they're going to shine. So right there, being able to have that experience, knowing what their energy is, what their passion is that they speak upon, and knowing how they connect with people and what type of groups they connect with, that alone is an experience. And as I've said you know, many times, we could be sharing a same story, but hearing it from someone who played in the uh, NFL or NHL and won a Stanley Cup is going to be completely different and more engaging than if Molly Plotkin was to share that same story. Right, exactly. And a lot of your public speakers are really, really notable Philadelphians, but also notable athletes. Ron Jaworski, for example, Riley Cote, formerly of the Flyers, and now focused more so on hemp heels and some of the other uh, cannabis awareness programs. Who are some of the other people that you have as speakers, aside from Ron Jaworski, Mike Quick, Riley Cote, those types of individuals? Sure. Uh, I have to say two of the most exciting people that I've, one I've worked with for 15 years. One is new to our roster. Um, It's a, he's a wonderful speaker named John Foley. He's truly one of the most sought after international keynote speakers. Uh, He is a former solo pilot of the Navy Blue Angels. He's a Stanford grad, MBA, uh, international policy uh, master's as well, and is really one of the foremost keynote motivational speakers you could ever meet. We recently uh, had the opportunity to sign a gentleman named Errol Dobler to our roster, who we are so thrilled uh, to be able to work with. Errol is not only a former Navy SEAL, he is a FBI counterterrorism expert. He is a leadership and process expert who's now gone into the private sector. And we have now put Uh, a program together featuring John and Errol. So it's right now, so to be able to bring to people, what do a SEAL and an angel have in common? You know, um, even though they're both graduates of U.S. Naval Academy, that's really where it ends. And the leadership skills that they learned in their military experience, but also they're both very um, well-versed and experienced and passionate about speaking on wellness. So again, to be able to have wellness speakers that have such a heavy military background, it breaks the mold of what your traditional wellness program might sound like. That's pretty awesome. So what's one of the stories from your career, your 17-year career of engaging with these public speakers and motivational speakers, both a good one and a bad one that you've experienced? Oh, gosh. You know, I'm very lucky. There's a lot of things that I'm appreciative and lucky of. Uh, One is if people want to be speakers and they're coming from the world of sports, they're usually someone that is just inherently motivational. Um, They have a lot of gratitude. They have a lot of appreciation. So just being able to connect with them, that makes what I do unbelievably lucky. Um, You know, let's see, what are some of the, I guess, you know, recently about Two years ago, I would say this is probably one of my favorite stories, most recent favorite stories. Um, Reverend Herb Lusk in Philadelphia is the minister for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he hosts a large fundraiser each year for his nonprofit, People to People. And 
I walked into the room and uh, I was not expecting to go to this event. It was a last minute. Hey, you know, there's, you know, which can you join me? There's, you know, a seat available. You want to come? Sure. And I walked in the room and all of a sudden I ran into probably 12 of my clients from when I had first started Philadelphia sports group. And when I walked up and saw Vince Papali, who I had not seen in a few years, and he looked at me and he said, you gave me my start. And that is the type of memory that I go, this is a really great job. This is why after taking a hiatus for a few years, I came back to it because I've never stopped loving what I do. And I never stopped loving working with these clients. Um, you know, I think the, the, uh, on the embarrassing side was uh, at times not fully appreciating that when you walk into a restaurant with someone, especially if it's an active player, they have a stature and a presence that makes people take notice. So, you know, not being fully prepared, I'm, I'm walking into a restaurant meeting someone and I'm, you know, Molly Plotkin. And then to have everyone turn around and look at you in the room, that takes a little getting used to <laughs> because it's not your typical business meeting. And sometimes you forget that. Right. That's a good point. Now, with these names that you you've grown and evolved, you've grown and evolved your client list fairly significantly. And as you said, you have a lot of military and leadership speakers, which is awesome. But you also have Riley Cote, Brian Prop, um, Mike Quick, Ron Jaworski, lots of really notable Philadelphia athletes. How did you evolve that? Was it just a matter of being in the room with Mike Quick and then naturally you run into and meet some other people or, or is it something that, you know, evolves more naturally because you're just putting yourself where those people are going to be? How do you develop that? Where do you start if you're trying to meet a particular individual? Honestly, it's very organic. I've never, I've never had the need to really search someone out. Um, I, really enjoyed working with everyone when we first started the company. So when you lay that groundwork and I, you know, I have to say what I believe made me memorable in the uh, field is that uh, athletes can very quickly detect when there's someone who wants to get to know them because of their wow factor. So someone who's a huge sports fan and they just want to be around an athlete. Um, I look at people as a good product. I mean, I need to make sure that my hiring client is getting what they are hiring this person to do. So the fact that I um, probably come off a bit different than most of the people who want to, quote, get to know them, that really uh, stands out. But I guess the biggest thing that makes me stand out is that here's the big secret. I'm not a sports fan. So I think that's what surprises people That'll most. That'll help, and right? So of course, you're not going to be all uh, uh, starstruck no. when you meet them, right? And that's going to help your situation. Yes. yes. And um, so when you said before your question, what are some of the most embarrassing things? Um, my lack of knowledge of sports. That would probably be, without a doubt, is when I meet someone and they're talking about their professional career. I have to say, I, I, I don't know. But you do take the transparent approach, right? I, I hear that in your story that you're just going to walk up to them and say, look, I don't necessarily know how many touchdown catches you've had, Mike Quick, or how many touchdowns you've thrown, Ron Jaworski, but I love you as a 
figure on stage. I love your stage presence and I'd love to represent you. Is that more or less your approach? And it's really word of mouth. So okay. how I met Ron Jaworski was I had met and I honestly have to search to figure out how this even started. One of my and I start this sentence all the time. One of my favorite clients, they're all my favorite clients, uh, Kevin Riley. Kevin Riley is one of the greatest speakers anyone could have the opportunity to listen to. Kevin played in the NFL. He was uh, recruited by Don Shula after their perfect season with the Miami Dolphins. From there, he was a walk-on tryout for the Philadelphia Eagles, which was his hometown team, and ended his career with the New England Patriots. But on top of that, Kevin is a desmoid cancer uh, survivor, and he's also an amputee. Due to the, the tumor, he lost his left shoulder, left arm, left shoulder, and top four left ribs. Wow. He's gone on to be one of the most motivating, um, inspirational, inspiring speakers you could ever have the opportunity to listen to. I worked closely with Kevin. We had a uh, great success bringing him to uh, people in the financial industry. We worked uh, with a lot of the financial houses. And it was when we had built his program up, Ron, he had told Ron Jaworski about me. So then Ron called, his people called us, and we were able to work together. Um, I believe that's maybe even how I met Vince Papali. Because again, we met Vince before the movie came out. So it's really a lot of the players that I work with then tell their friends and their friends reach out and say, okay, so, uh, you know, how can we work together? And once I meet them and go through our uh, interview process, I sort of go through and figure out if they're going to be a good fit. And if they are, then they sign a letter to let us represent them and work together. And then we start marketing them on their behalf. Very cool. Yeah, I saw Vince Papali speak, by the way, about a year, year and a half ago, and he's actually such an engaging and phenomenal public speaker. He talks a lot about his experiences with the movie and then also with meeting Mark, Mark Wahlberg and working through that whole process, but then both life as an eagle, life after that, you know, what he's been up to. He, he's a really engaging guy and he just makes you feel really comfortable just sitting there listening to him. Yes. And, and so you've been uh, lucky enough to actually experience it. And so when you talk about uh, experiential brand marketing and how you translate that experience, someone like Vince, his energy comes through whether he's live on a large stage, talking to you one-on-one, -on -one, or coming to you through your computer screen. He still has that ability to connect with people, share his story, and get people inspired. Very cool. Let's go back to the time that you talked about that embarrassing experience that you had, right? Walking into the restaurant with a really big personality. How yes. did you feel in that moment and how did you fix that situation? You know, I quickly realized, um, you know, this is, I embraced it. You know, I, I was used to in business, if, if it's a sale, you're putting the other person first, uh, you, you know, you want to make sure that they're the most comfortable. So you really go back to be more of a, a hostess per se and working to make sure that your guest is as comfortable in there in the limelight and knowing that I was having this experience that this business is different, that I have to embrace that there is a wow factor to it and use it to my advantage. Um, one of the best business books I ever read was Barbara Corcoran's use what you've got. So she had just sold the Corcoran group. This is, you know, 10 years before shark tank. 
And she talked about, you know, being able to harness whatever magic you can find and using it. And I am in an exciting environment. I need to embrace that. But as I said, you know, not being a sports fan, I didn't really give that the full credit that it needed. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that duality that exists, though, because you're both representing your client, the public speaker, but as you mentioned earlier, also trying to deliver on your client, the individual who's paying for the appearance, right, or the organization who's paying for this public speaker to come in. Has there been a situation in your past where the two have collided and how did you fix that situation? Absolutely. What often will happen is someone will call and say, I know exactly who I want. This is the speaker that we want. Our t- we've already voted on it and we would like them to do our kickoff meeting. And I have to say to them, I love that you found us. That perfect has, person has so many strengths. They are not going to deliver the message that you're looking for. Because I know that speaker, I know that what they're really most comfortable with is autograph signings or small meet and greets. Um, Just because someone played on a national level and is playing in front of a huge audience doesn't mean they're comfortable with lots of people. Some are just very, very shy. They're more introverts. Um, So really, I spend a lot of time talking to my hiring client to say, what are your needs? You know, okay, you say you want someone motivational. Okay, why do you want someone motivational? And after talking to them, I realized, no, you might need someone really based talking about leadership, you know, or team building. So I, you know, and we do a lot of that back and forth. I am very proud to say I have never had anyone not take my advice because my goal is I want them to be happy. I want them to have a memorable experience. I want everyone in that room to feel as, you know, empowered and inspired and educated as the hiring party was hoping for. But it, was there a story in particular where you did hire an individual and you please don't name names or list parties. We'll keep them all as innocent as possible. But was there a story or a moment that you had booked someone for an event and they show up and you thought it was going to be a great fit, but it just didn't work. And now you've got an upset owner client entity that hired you for this position and an upset speaker. And how did you rectify that situation? I have to say, I have never had that, but I did have a speaker once who, even though we had gone over the date, the time over and over and over again, completely slipped their mind. I get a phone call from the hiring client. You know, the event's supposed to start in 20 minutes. I always set up a pre-interview meeting. Um, Everyone, you know, was given emails and texts and every, you know, it's the, I put on my mom hat, you know, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is all the things we need to get done. And um, it was, we were very lucky because the client lived about 45 minutes south of the appearance. At that moment, they were 45 minutes north of the appearance, but their wife was home. So with, within, 20 seconds, we were scrambling. The speaker was able to travel south. His wife was able to pick every his business clothes up and head north. They were 15 minutes late at the end of the day. Not only did it go well, the client went from, obviously, and rightly so, 
being very nervous and very concerned. He's got 200 people in a room. Where is our speaker? To calling me when it was over and saying it was the best speech anyone had ever heard. Now, I know from the background talking to the speaker, he said, my adrenaline was going so fast when I got there, I had no choice but to knock it out of the park. And it ended up being a magical event. But holy cow, was I sweating bullets. Wow. That was not a fun moment because I am not in the business of disappointing people. So that would have been terrible. Now, what did you do in that moment, though, just more practically? Because I think right now with COVID-19 and all of these issues, there's a lot of PR problems, right, going on in our society right now, top to bottom, you know. So what did you do? What were your practical sort of best practices in that situation where you're in crisis mode, right? You've got you're clearly not going to get the speaker there on time. So what was your approach to rectifying that situation? Well, the first was complete accountability. You know, no excuses anywhere from anyone. Um, first, explaining to the hiring client that I was going to move mountains to get this done. And if it meant me finding another speaker who, I mean, again, that's the beauty of I know everyone I represent. I know where they live and I have a general idea of where they are. <laughs> so, you know, are they down in Florida? Are they at their Shore House? Are they home in suburban Philadelphia? Um, I'm going to get them someone. And there's just, there can't be any other option. Um, I, of course, after contacting the speaker and his family members, (laughs) because I know his wife, um, his daughter, I'm texting everyone. I'm pulled over on the side of the road, literally just trying to get as many people on speed dial as possible to find out where they are, how we're going to move it. It was like moving troops, you know, (laughs) we're going to get this done. But it was also um, just saying, you know, I am really sorry. I, I apologize that you're feeling this stress, rightly so, and we are going to make this right. Now, this is pre-COVID. You know, post-COVID, since the entire world has pivoted to the idea of, of online and virtual and Zoom and everything else, we would have had options. You know, we already had a screen at this venue. We could have streamed something in. Um I think that'll be one of the biggest changes we see in the future of our industry, but we'll get to that later. But knowing um, that was, you know, at the moment that was not an option, but it was, you know, so how was I, I was pulled over on the side of the road by a park in Narberth, Pennsylvania, just in a hot car, (laughs) texting everyone and calling everyone I possibly could. Right. So good segue into COVID-19. So How do you go from running an organization that's focused on live public events to completely shifting that online? What was your approach and where we are, where are we at now? Because obviously we're about 130 days or so, roughly, I don't know what the count is, but roughly that into this. Uh, So I guess we've all got a fair bit of experience at this point dealing with these Zoom meetings and technical difficulties and just being a little bit more respectful of one another's um, personal space. And, you know, a dog might jump in or a kid might jump into your meeting or something along those lines. But how have you shifted your business model to deal with our current state of live events? Sure. And, And really, I do consider myself part of the events industry. We are, in essence, a speakers bureau that specializes in the world of sports. Whereas we started out sports marketing, Really, we veered into a new industry. We realized that's 
truly who we are and what we do. So as you can imagine, the events industry is all based on live events. It's meetings, events, kickoffs, uh, you know, galas, nonprofits looking to raise the profile by having uh, an athlete out. So I would say my experience was similar to many in the events industry. You know, mid-March, we looked at it as, okay, you know, um, we might be in our homes for two weeks. So let's kind of, we're just going to slow down and we're going to get all of our, uh, you know, the things that have been piling up on our desk that we need to get done. It's going to be like one big snow day. So two weeks go by and realize, wow, they're, they're talking, this could be another four weeks. So by week two and a half, all of our events have canceled. So we are, we have great projections for 2020. I have so many events on the books. My speakers are excited. I'm thrilled. Um, and they're great quality events that are not only bringing my speaker to a group, but there's people that will be in the audience that might be, you know, able to hire them again. We're done. Every, everything is dried up. Um, and then, of course, it's, oh, my gosh, what in the world are we going to do? It was probably about six weeks into that. So from beginning, you know, uh, middle of March to the end of April, where we realized, OK, we have to do a great pivot. And it was after a conversation with uh, a group of women that I do a Zoom call with that we're all entrepreneurs and every week one of us we focus on and it's a great mastermind we start we went around okay where's everyone with uh this you know new reality and they quickly focused on me because they said molly your business is the one that needs it the most you may not survive and it was after that conversation where like so many of us you look and say okay what are my ingredients what can i do with this and we realized our silver lining is virtual programming. We now have the ability, instead of me bringing Vince Papali to you, who you were able to hear, we can now do a full program of Vince Papali doing the introduction for 20 minutes, followed by Ron Jaworski, the CEO quarterback, talking about uh, team building and business and how to keep your team motivated during times of chaos. And finishing the event with Kevin Riley talking for 20 minutes on what his experience has been, not only as an NFL player, but as a cancer survivor and amputee and as a 30 year executive with the Xerox corporation. So that is, that's been a huge benefit to us. So I have to say it's, um, we've never been more excited, but those first couple weeks were terrifying. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, that pivot was freaking everyone out, I think, quite frankly. But I love your approach, staying focused on, as you said, what your ingredients are, what you have that's good, how can you add value, and what can you bring to the table on offer to really increase your market presence, personal branding, uh, what can you do to stay, stay in the forefront. So what are your best practices for those who are listening that are struggling with COVID-19, that are still struggling with the dynamics of having to do at-home Zoom events or, for instance, recording their podcast remotely or something along those lines, what do you advise people to do to, to present themselves in the best light? The first thing I would say before you even get to presenting yourself is jump in. Like now is the time. I mean, this is, I hate to say it, but the bar is low in what people can, uh, you know, not get away with. So for example, in the past, you would not want to do an interview on Zoom per se. We would want to do it face-to-face -face in a studio. 
Well, now embrace the fact that if you've wanted to start a podcast, guess what, everyone? You know, if CNN is having their reporters work from their kitchen, you can too. So jump right in. Now is such a great time to try something because if your child starts crying in the background or the dog walks through the back of the meeting, no, that's that doesn't even make, you know, a YouTube clip anymore. You're not even going to be a meme. You're just called, you know, Tuesday night. It's, yeah. it's happened to all of us. No, that's great advice. I think you're exactly right. So what's the next step, though? Okay, you you dive in. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the we're in a position now where those who said, oh, I don't really like the sound of my voice or I don't like the way that I look on camera, myself may be included in that a little bit. But you have to, right? You have no choice. That's the way we're all meeting and interacting with people. So that comfort level, that that callus, so to speak, is really increasing and thickening and allowing you to get more comfortable in front of a camera and, you know, making sure that you have good lighting, for example, and good sound, and hopefully keeping the dogs and the kids at bay for about 60 minutes while you're trying to handle your business on a Zoom call or presenting yourself. But have you had any celebrities or any of the people who you represent appear on a Zoom call that had something funny happen to them? Well, you know, we all learned very quickly um, what a bad Zoom call looks like. So um, I had quite a few clients set. And again, I'm I am really into dotting every I and crossing every T. So before I would send out someone out to a live event, we would not only go over all the details of the event, we would do a pre-phone call with uh, the people who were the hiring client, and then we would go over it again. And then right before they went on, I was on the phone with them or I would have a representative from the company, you know, be there with them. So I did the same thing with Zoom calls. Thank goodness, because we did have quite a few people who don't really realize, um, you know, you can't sit that close to the, to the camera. And when there's a really big echo or when the light's shining or you know, and this amazes me. I watched uh, a Zoom call uh, that was actually sponsored by Inc. Magazine. And it is someone who is huge, huge, huge. They actually, and I just, I can't figure this one out. They did the entire, the famous person, the expert, did their entire interview with their dry cleaning hanging in the back. So <laughs> I can see your dry cleaning. It's right there. And if I can see it, everyone else, the, the 3,500 other people listening to you um, give us your business acumen, they can see it too. So I would say every single speaker that I have before they do a podcast, a Zoom interview, or an event, I say, okay, take your laptop into where you're going to be. Let's get the lighting straight. Okay, don't touch anything. <laughs> you know, if you're going to now take a break, but keep that light where it is, keep your camera where it is, and remember where you're sitting. Um, because there's a lot of bad, low, horrible quality out there. And, you know, we, we will be known for producing the best events. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I can't tell you how many Zoom calls I've been on at this point where it looks like I'm talking to the mob informant from a 2020 special <laughs> where they're all dark and the lights all in the background and their voice doesn't sound right. You know, who are you hiding from? Just just fix the lighting, please. But uh, yeah, I, I've had the same experience, obviously, with trying to do podcasts remotely. We've had a couple glitches here and there. And look, you got to roll with it. It's it's just we make mistakes. We're human beings. 
And I think that's acceptable to your point. If you own it and you show that you're trying to fix it and you're doing things to improve the quality, people respond to that, I think, in, in a unique way. And I would say, I think that is definitely one of the only challenge that I don't know of how to overcome right now is when I have a speaker and they have a delay. So their internet connection gets slow or um, I was listening to a speaker. It was through a uh, chamber event in the Philadelphia region when everything first started and the person speaking, I was so excited to hear and their power went out. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's just what happens. And luckily there was, you know, someone else who could go into the chat and say, everyone, we're going to be delayed by about 15 minutes, but you know, a transformer blew and that was it. <laughs> the, the person who was the speaker lost power. So, you know, that's really the biggest obstacle is good Wi-Fi connection and don't lose power. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can jump in there just from my perspective, because I'm running these podcasts, I've had a couple of those things happen and it got to the point where I'm now wired connection. I'm, I'm back to old school. I'm on the grid again. Uh, we've upgraded our, our video equipment. We've, we've done things to upgrade the sound and to try to stabilize things. And we were having issues with all sorts of syncing problems with sound. And like you said, delays because we're doing this using Zoom. And even though we're using our equipment here, it, it's tough because you're reliant upon the other individual's Wi-Fi connection or, you know, what kind of sound equipment they're coming to the table with. What's the echo in their situation? And you kind of just have to make it work. But I understand exactly where you're coming from. It's Murphy's Law, right? One piece of advice that I would give any aspiring entrepreneur, you know, whatever you're going to do, aim to be the absolute best in the business. And when we wrapped our mind around virtual programming and realized further we could go with these programs, um, we immediately aligned with one of the best technology companies on the East Coast. So, you know, working with them, we are able to put together to high value production. So anything from um, virtual uh, conferences and breakout rooms, but where you actually, it almost looks like you're watching a video game, but they also handle all the production side for the speaker to make sure that they know how to, as you said, go back on the grid, uh, overcome any uh, obstacles like that. So, you know, it, it, it can be overcome, but it's a lot. There are some challenges, but any challenge can be overcome. I mean, we've put people on the moon and we're sending satellites in outer space all the time. I think we can figure out how to have a good Zoom call. I, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but doesn't it amaze you how many really big companies still put content out on Zoom? That's really poor quality. Yeah. That's what I'm really, that's this far into the game. I'm really uh, astounded by yeah, I look, I, I have no idea why or an explanation why I can I can theorize or or <laughs> provide my opinion. But I guess it's just, you know, for some it's a mindset thing, right? I, I agree with your mindset personally. I'm always, always, always looking to improve content, looking to restructure things, looking to improve quality production value. I, I really take a lot of time personally thinking about all of the ways that we're presenting ourselves, whether it's the podcast whether it's a production that we're working on uh, using the production company, whether it's my life as a lawyer or I teach at Temple. So even when I'm teaching, I really, really try to bring 
the best presentation that I can. My jokes usually fall flat with the students, by the way, but different generation, I guess. It's just the I'm way sure it those is. jokes are great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Molly. I appreciate the ego boost. But um, but yeah, it, it just comes down, I think, to mentality. And I, I couldn't agree with you more because to me, and, and maybe you feel the same way, you tell us, when you're looking at something like that, it really put paints a picture in your mind of what that organization thinks and feels like. Do they really care about always putting forth the best quality, like what you were talking about, always trying to be the best at everything that they do? Or is it, you know what, we're going to stay in our lane and who cares if it's a Zoom call or a Zoom video and the quality stinks? Nobody cares. You know, and, and I think that does affect brand perception on the back end. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And but I also think it's, you know, as we said a few moments ago, for anyone who who's looking at this time as a way to jumpstart something new, create, a, you know, have an idea that they've created that they're ready to take action on. You can start with the bar being pretty low. And then my advice is aim to make it the absolute best, because I think that's what really uh, puts the people who are going to survive this. It's the entrepreneurs that are going to be successful and that are successful because they have that drive to say, not only am I willing to try this, once I've tried it, I now know I want to do it better than everyone else around me. You know, there's always room for competition. Competition is good. And I always say, because I'm like, I know what I'm able to provide is going to be better than anyone else. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think we live in a culture now, and, and I'll get your opinion on this as well. We live in a culture now where it's the fake it till you make it. But I think people misunderstand what that statement means, right? Oh, it's been yeah. taken as now this kind of hashtaggy, you know, Instagram, social media kind of culture where people are faking it on social media, but not really delivering or executing at a high level, uh, which sucks, quite frankly. But I think what that statement really means is aim higher than what you think you might be able to accomplish. And frequently you'll land a lot higher than you think you could. You'll you'll hurt yourself by maybe that whole um, imposter syndrome. Right. I think that's what fake it till you make it applies to when when you're actually faking it, you just don't get anywhere. And I couldn't agree with you more in the context that it's not about faking this persona. I think it's more so about being real and just trying to put forth the best product that you can at the time and place that you're in now, right? And let's face it, it's we're 80 some odd episodes in at this point with our podcast, and it's evolved significantly from the first 10, first 20, first 50 that, that I did. It just works that way, right? And it's like anything else, like Jerry Seinfeld, you got to write jokes every day and 99% of them are going to be crap. But that's how you become Jerry Seinfeld. He spends time writing and grinding it out every single day to make himself better. And I'm sure if you looked at his early material, it's nowhere near as polished as it is today. Without a doubt. And, you know, again, th that's so much of what makes entrepreneurship exciting is that the understanding of each day, you really do have the opportunity to build something bigger and better. And you have to be prepared to pivot and zigzag. And because what you think a need is, you have to be open-minded enough to find out that actually the need's a little bit more over here. Um, you know, for example, we've been thrilled to find out that a lot of our athletes 
we now offer them more management services. So we're able to help them in many aspects of their post-playing career. That was something that I was, you know, I'm skilled to do and I've got a great staff that's able to work with them as well. But, you know, that was not only original business plan. And even from the very beginning, when I thought I was going to start a sports marketing agency representing just a handful of athletes and then growing it into something that really um, looks very different. It morphed into so much more than I ever would have imagined. That's awesome. Okay. So now speaking of which, where are you going in the future? What can we expect from Molly Plotkin Group the rest of 2020? Who knows what's going to happen? Of course, we'll give you that pass. But what what are you working on? And what are you looking at in 2021, 2022? What can we expect from your organization going forward? Surely. Well, the biggest thing you can look forward to, I cannot tell you. So hopefully we will be able to speak again in a few weeks and I'll have a very big announcement at that time. Cool. Uh, really, uh, our virtual programming guide is almost complete. And that is almost like a menu of who we represent, but how they can work together. Because now we're able to put together many of our athletes from different sports, but they speak about the same thing. So for example, Anthony Griggs, who played for the played in the NFL for the Eagles and the Browns, and then was with the Steelers. And Alvin Williams, who played in the NBA, originally from Villanova, then went to the Portland Trailblazers and Toronto Raptors. They both do a great speech on time management, and they work really well with um, teenagers, college students, um, recent graduates, you know, uh, really students that are young people in their early to mid-20s. So that's what you're going to see more and more of. Instead of us bringing one keynote speaker out to an event, seeing us being able to bring the excitement of many sports and industries together under a single topic. That's awesome. Yeah, you talked a little bit about that, right? With Vince Papali and then Ron Jaworski and then Kevin Riley working together on these presentations. So that's really exciting. I love the idea of flipping, kind of pivoting, as you said, with this challenge and saying, you know what? This is an opportunity, not a challenge necessarily. Of course, it's a challenge. We respect that everyone's facing this in different ways. And I frequently say that we're all on the same roller coaster. We're just on different parts of the ride. So some of us are up, some of us are down, some of us are clinking along, rising, not knowing when we're going to fall. Um, but, you know, looking for those opportunities, the little victories are really the path to not only staying afloat, but finding success when others are facing challenges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I will say that like for many of us in the events industry, what we're going to see for the rest of 2020 is going to be challenging. It really, really is. Um, events that were supposed to be held in the uh, past spring and summer were immediately postponed to the fall. And now those are being canceled. They're just being, if your event right. was April, 2020, they're just going to make it April 2021 because by then, God willing, we will all be in a world to be able to do either live events or we will just so have embraced virtual events that everyone knows that's what we'll be doing. So I would tell everyone, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, if you've just started a business, just, you know, hold hold out if you can, because 2020 is going to be a big time of change for all of us. Um, but 2021 is going to be huge. Yeah, so. lots of opportunity ahead. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, what can people expect if they're reaching out to Molly Plotkin Group 
to book a particular celebrity? I would imagine that your prices vary or a public speaker. Uh, do you want to give us a range or an idea or is it best that they just contact you? No, no, absolutely. And, you know, we we will find someone to work within anyone's budget. I really, really mean that. And that's, again, something that sets us apart. Uh, most of the big speakers bureau agencies, of course, you know, they want to start at a certain level. I really want to give everyone the opportunity to be able to have a speaker, if you know, to be able to fit their need. So we really have a range of $2,500 all the way up to 50000 Okay. So... Yes. And it really depends on um, what the needs are, what you're looking for. Uh, is it a 45 minute speech? Is it uh, executive coaching afterwards? Is it a VIP section before? You know, of course, these are all virtual breakout rooms, but, you know, we have so many different ways to put together an event. But I always say, even if you have a budget of $500, you should really give us a call because if I have someone that's able to do it, um, we really would love to bring them out. Awesome. Now, what's the best way to reach out to Molly Plotkin Group to connect with you or to reach out about a particular speaker that you have as a client? Thank you. Uh, without a doubt, going to the website is the best way to see uh, who we're working with, what we're currently doing, who we've just signed. Uh, we have all of our emails on the website. Our phone number is listed there as well. And uh, it's mollyplotkingroup.com. Uh, Molly is spelled with an I-A, but that's the uh, biggest confusion I think most people have. So if you go to mollyplotkingroup.com, and we're also on all social media. So if you Google that name, even with a misspelling, you're going to find us. Very cool. Awesome. Molly, thank you so much for your time and for your insight. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tony. It was so great getting to speak with you.